You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Let's jump on in. You know, I, I don't do dates very well. I am terrible at dates. I can't, and, and it doesn't matter how many times you tell me the timelines of things, especially in the Old Testament, I, I just won't remember it. I just don't. So um, I, I know that there are parts of Daniel's story in some of the history books of the Bible. You'll find parts of Daniel's story in Ezra and parts in Chronicles. But, um, but um, those are history books. The book of Daniel itself is really meant to be a prophetic book. And, and it, it, it's meant to show us kind of the plan of God and the, and the, and the heart of God. Daniel was an Israelite who, captured, who was captured by the Babylonians and served on the palace of a Babylonian king. Um, so he's an Israelite serving in a Babylonian um, court. He's a prophet with a gift of interpreting dreams and seeing into the supernatural. And most of the book of Daniel is is about the dreams and visions that he saw. And that's what makes Daniel unique as a book of the Bible. It's why we have it. It's because it gives us this glimpse, as I said, into the mind of God and the plans of God. It teaches us that the same spirit of God, um, the the, the same spirit that the God of Israel saved uh, Daniel and his friends from um, when they were confronting their enemies, that same spirit, that same God is also saving Israel. He is saving Israel, not just then, but he is saving Israel generation after generation after generation. God is saving his people, amen? God is saving his people. So Daniel is there to remind us that God is in control, which is not as easy to understand as the bumper sticker makes you want to think because God's way of controlling isn't necessarily the way we think of controlling things. It's not how we define it. This book challenges us to decide how we're going to relate to that truth that God is in control. Will we live our lives as people who actually believe in a God who is not just able but willing to see us through our worst times? Are we willing to serve, worship, and follow him even if we don't know everything that that looks like? Because this is the big theme of Daniel. No matter how things look now, God's kingdom will one day fill the earth. There it is. And that's what we mean when we talk about God being in control. It's not so much that you're a puppet and everything's being handled outside your power. That's not it. When we talk about control, we're saying that that we know who wins, right? <laughs> we know who wins. I found an amazing, I think, brilliant way to link this back to the UGA game from last night. Um, because for three and a half quarters, you didn't know who was going to win. But guess who won, okay? Y'all aren't really picking up on that the way I s- meant that to be, huh? You don't even know who won? What kind of pagans are you? The number one team in the country won the game, and that's Georgia Bulldogs, okay? If you're going to live in the state, okay, I'm just going to stop right here and say. (laughs) I just can't even know. Who who am I talking? Who are these people, Jesus? (sighs) Things are not what they seem. That's That's my point. 
God is not what he might seem either. He may restrain his power and operate in ways we don't always understand, but he will, listen to me, he will one day crush the enemy of goodness and reset the world. We know who wins. Turn to your neighbor and say, we know who wins. We know who wins. The assumption after Babylon conquered Judah was that Nebuchadnezzar would be the first of a great succession of reigning kings, a glorious dynasty that would last forever. They literally thought that. And, and that assumption didn't even last a generation. King, within a few years, Nebuchadnezzar would be gone. And then when King Cyrus came to power, we meet him in chapter 10. That's where we'll be today. He restored the cult of Marduk to its altars. He believed these other gods were more powerful than Israel's God, and he hoped the people would be so grateful that their altars were restored that they would pray to his God, whose name was Bel, that they would pray for Bel to bless Cyrus. But that is not the way pagan gods work. Competing interests compete. And in that way, Daniel's story is only complete when we read it today and realize that nobody is still talking about Marduk and Bel. <laughs> Not today, except, except as relics of history. Israel's God may have seemed small and insignificant to Babylon, but whose God are we talking about today? Amen. Daniel's God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who restored his people by tearing the curtain and opening the most holy of holies. The God who has power to restore all things to their creative purpose in his time, in his way, according to his plan. That's what we mean when we say God is in control. We mean that God has no intention of leaving this world to Babylon or to whatever evil empire is crushing or creeping in, not in this world or the world beyond our senses. So Daniel's story is a story about the war being waged in the spiritual realm, and it comes with an invitation to get in the game. And chapter 10 gives us a glimpse into how Daniel prepared himself spiritually to get in the game, to, to, to engage that war and participate in what God was doing in the world. And the question that chapter 10 wants to ask, or says at least the question I want to ask, is this. How will you prepare for and respond to God's invitation to get in the game? I want you to write that at the top of your Bible on Daniel chapter 10 or, or on the top of your, uh, your journal. The best way to engage the message is always with your Bible, something to write with, something to write on. And here's where I want you to be this week as you think back on this message and on this passage. How, how will you prepare for and respond to God's invitation to get in the game? So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 10. We'll start with verse 1. I'm going to read the scripture today from a version called the New Living Translation, just because this is kind of complicated language in this chapter, and the New Living Translation helps me to make more sense of it. So I'm going to be reading from the NLT. You read from whatever version you're in, and maybe between us we can make sense of things. 
It begins this way in verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1. In the, in the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. And that war that Daniel saw in the vision, that war actually happened. It was a, real, a war in real time. But Daniel's vision is not about a war. Daniel's vision is about the war. Ultimately, this is a vision about the battle being raged um, on the spiritual, uh, waged on the spiritual plane for, for control of the world and for co- control of your soul and mine. Daniel got a glimpse of it because he'd been preparing himself. How did he prepare himself? Look at at verse 2. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. And all that time I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed, which is kind of funny to me. Like, I'm not even going to (laughs) moisturize. But this is Daniel Daniel being so hungry for something that he was willing to put aside everything that wasn't necessary for survival. He's travailing in prayer for three weeks, giving up anything that didn't keep him alive because he was more hungry for God than he was for food. these, These verses have become kind of famous because... This is a kind of fast that Daniel chose, and so they call this the Daniel fast. It's Daniel's way of getting his spirit in line with his circumstances. Why was Daniel doing that? Well, in recovery circles, we talk about control a lot. We talk about things we can control and things we cannot control. And Generally, when we talk about it, the emphasis is on things we cannot control. Recovery folks, what are the things I can control? Myself, that's right. I can control myself. What are the things I cannot control? People, places, and things. Everything else, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much everything is beyond, that, that is beyond me is beyond me, right? Which could make me feel helpless until I learn that as a spiritual being, things outside my control aren't necessarily outside my influence. Things outside my control aren't necessarily outside my influence. This is what Daniel learned. Our, our greatest influence is on our knees. <laughs> right? Daniel was fasting and praying because he wanted to be in a in position when God showed up to, to, to see, to participate in what God was doing among his people. And, and this was a way for him to say, basically, put me in, coach. I want to be in the game. So fasting is a way to stoke our hunger for God. Fasting drives our hearts upward. You should write that down. And if you want to know more about fasting down the road, I'd be glad to talk to you about it. Today's not really the day I'm going to give a teaching on fasting. But fasting drives our hearts upward. And, 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 and Daniel shows us that giving up food as an offering of faithfulness this is J.D. Walt's way of putting it. He says, he says that was the old wineskin, just giving up food and so you can check the box, you know, so I'm going to fast so I can check the box. That's an old wineskin, but fellowshipping with Jesus instead of going to lunch, that's the new wineskin. 
And I realize Daniel's Old Testament, and I'm talking Jesus, but that's, that's basically what Jesus, I mean, excuse me, that's basically what Daniel was doing. He was saying, you know what, Lord, my heart is burdened for some things, and I would rather be with you than go to lunch today. <laughs> I would rather be in your presence. I would rather be faithful to your, to your voice and my life than to eat. And that's, that's different than, I, well, you, you know what? There's a way of following God without actually being faithful to God. And that's different than, that's different than that. This, this, what Daniel's doing, this is not just being faithful to God. This is being hungry for God. Hungry. So how does, how does that track with you? There's, there's a way of being committed to God without actually being close to God. How does that track with your prayer life? How does that track with your spiritual disciplines? Are you committed but not close? So Daniel's fast was Daniel trying to get close to God. Stoking his hunger for God, driving his heart upward. He made a choice to move from feasting to fasting because he wanted to feast on the mind of God. How will you prepare for and respond to God's invitation to get in the game? What is it you really want God to do spiritually in the world? What are you, what are you burdened for spiritually? What's, what's got you? What marriage are you hoping to restore? What, what, um, what rebellious sort of directionless thing are you praying for the, for the church or for the country or for the world? You want to see the Lord make your people hungry again. Fasting is a way to break through spiritual barriers. It can be a powerful way to get in, in line with God's goals. Jesus says some things come out only by prayer and fasting. That was Jesus talking. And so, um, so I want to come back to that idea we kicked around a few minutes ago. Things outside our control aren't necessarily beyond our influence. So are you, are, you, are, you the, are you, in your spiritual life right now, are you armchair quarterbacking it? <laughs> or are you putting yourself in the game in some very specific spiritual ways? Because not everything is out of your control. Your greatest influence is on your knees. Your greatest influence is in the place of prayer and fasting. Fasting, watching, praying, mourning over what grieves us. That's how we bring ourselves, put ourselves into the game. So leading into this vision, Daniel had a season of spiritual preparation. For three weeks, he ate differently. He mourned. He sensed something coming, and, and he fasted, and he lamented, and he got himself in the presence of God. And then, and then, God spoke. And boy, this is beautiful. Verse 4, look at this. April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and I saw a man. I mean, he gets this whole sense around vision of, of they don't even know what this guy is. A man 
standing in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. I'm telling you, when you get that kind of vision, you're glad you fasted, right? <laughs> you're glad you showed up right. And scholars are just about split down the middle about whether this is Jesus or an angel. Either way, that is a powerful vision. If that's Jesus, glory to God. If that's not even Jesus, oh my goodness. I think most of us shy away from the deep end of the spiritual life because we're so afraid that God is going to show up for us in a powerful way that changes us and takes us out of our comforts. We want heaven, but most of us want Jesus to stay at, keep a distance. We want heaven, but most of us want Jesus to keep a difference, a distance, keep a distance. And we feel that way because we forget. We forget who he is, what he's done for us. We forget that, li like, like Lucy said in the Chronicles of Narnia, no, he's not safe, but he's good. He is the Lion of Judah who lays down with the Lamb. I want to see that. I want, I want to see that. Even if it does for me what it did to Daniel. Listen, Daniel, verse 7, only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The other people, they didn't even see it, and they went running. <laughs> Isn't that the best? They were terrified, ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My faith grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. And then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. <laughs> it's crazy I want that I don't know if I even know what I'm asking for there's something in this that reminds me of the story that's told about a man named David Slagle he it's a true story that he told about a 12 year old girl I think it was Ethiopia I think that's where she was anyway she was kidnapped by seven men and taken she's 12 years old taken um the, their plan was to force her into marriage. And so they, they took her out into the bush, and um, evidently this is not that uncommon for that part of the world. So these men held this little girl. They repeatedly over days abused her and uh, beat her, and there was not a human being within earshot, not a human being within earshot to hear her cries. But somebody heard her. It was this little pack of three Ethiopian lions, the ones who are famous for their big manes, like if you were thinking about Aslan or the, or the, or the, the lion that's on the, um, the logo for the series. Big black manes. They heard this little girl crying out for help, and they found her, and they leapt through the brush, and they chased her captors away. <laughs> it must have scared her to death like she'd traded one terror for another one. But remarkably, those three lions just stationed themselves around. Those three lions stationed themselves around this little girl, and they stayed there for most of the day until the policeman found her and rescued her. And when the policeman came, they just walked away. 
that one of the policemen said, they stood guard until we found her, and then they left her like a gift and went back into the bush. Folks, that's, that's, that's the hope in Daniel's vision. It's the great lion of Judah hearing your cries and knowing your trouble and coming to stand guard over your life until the enemy is defeated. This is what justifies living. This is why we chase the glory of God, even if it overwhelms us, sends us to our knees, causes us to be undignified. This is why we do it, because it is his glory we're after. In the Revelation of John, he wrote, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. So if he comes into your life in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable, it's okay. We know who wins. Tell your neighbor again, we know who wins. We know who wins. Thanks be to God. I love the whole progression of Daniel's story up into this vision. There's a time of preparation, and then there's a vision of this glorious being from heaven, and then Daniel falls to the ground and feels completely unable to absorb what he's seeing. He melts to the floor, and then, and then the heavenly being tells him to stand up. He says, consider the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up here. That's the sacred stand right there. It's the willingness to stand in the unhindered presence of God. To be vulnerable so that God can go in and do in us as he wills. It's Paul saying, after you've done everything you can do, stand. David, uh, Daniel stands and somewhere in the mix of this moment he gets assurance. This is verse 12. Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding, listen to this. This, this. this is the point of prayer and fasting. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. There it is. Do you want to write a why fast? Why pray? Why do anything in the presence of God? To gain understanding and to humble yourself before God. Since the first day that you did those two things, to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, I heard, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. That's, that's an incredible word, an incredible promise. And then verse 15, I just want to read how Daniel absorbs all this. While, while he was speaking to me, I looked down at the ground, unable to say a word. You can just sort of see the five-year-old who's looking down, <laughs> you know, at the ground while the parent's saying, what are you thinking? You go, I don't know, I don't know. And then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. And I said to the one standing in front of me, I'm filled with anguish because of the vision I've seen, my Lord. I'm very weak. How can somebody like me speak to that? My strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. And then the one who looked like a man touched me again, and I felt my strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. Hear that, friends. That is the response of God to you. When you come to him in prayer, when you come to him for, for understanding, you're very precious to God. Be encouraged, be strong. As he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger, and I said to him, please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. 
I'm just going to finish out Daniel chapter 10, verse 20. He replied, do you know why I've come? Soon I must return to fight against the spirit of the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And after that, the spirit, of the, uh, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. In other words, I had a whole bunch of, uh, of, of, of battles left to fight. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince. Basically, this is God saying, I have wars to fight you know nothing about. You should write that down. God is fighting wars you know nothing about. Which is to say, our unanswered prayers are not a sign that God is not listening or doesn't care. He is fighting wars you know nothing about. God is fighting wars you know nothing about. Last week was a weird week, wasn't it? This why I knew it this morning that there would not be as many people here today as usual. It's because you just can only have so much in a week before you're just done. I mean, you know, we just got wind and we were all nervous. School let out just because we had wind. It's just a weird week. We had a hurricane and you know, in my life there were just other things happening last week. It was just a strange week. It was all the things in the air. I had some conversations that were hard to understand, and I fell off my game. And so I spent some time last week in prayer. I actually fasted a meal just so I could get close to God and say, what is, what is, what is your heart, Lord? And then on Thursday morning, I was in my time of prayer and personal study, and I was in the book of Isaiah, and there's this place in Isaiah where the people of Israel can't seem to conquer their enemies. And the Lord says the same thing to them that he said to Daniel. He says, be, be, at, be at peace. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. And then he says to the king of Judah, <coughs> excuse me, ask the Lord your God for a sign from, from the deepest depths or the highest heights. And the king of Judah says, oh, I don't want to test the Lord that way. And God says, I'm the one asking. Okay. <laughs> Do it! So I'm reading this passage while I'm stewing over my week, and I decided to take God at his word. So I asked the Lord for a sign. I don't do that often, but I'm a child of God. I am precious to him. So I wrote this prayer in my journal. This is what I wrote. I am asking today for a sign, an indication that I'm moving in the right direction. And then I asked for a very specific thing as a sign. And within the hour, it's not a typical sign. It was not a, nothing I had control over. Within the hour, God gave that very sign. And it would not be fair telling you, while well, I'm telling you this answer to prayer that I got, to ignore the fact that on the same day, Thursday, a hurricane destroyed houses and churches and buildings and small businesses in Florida. And surely people were praying there. So why does God answer one prayer and not another? I don't know. Sometimes God answers, I know that. But our unanswered prayers are not a sign that God is absent or that God doesn't care or that God isn't listening. This is what I do know. God speaks and God cares. And things outside our control aren't necessarily outside our influence. 
You know, the Bible is full of people who had the audacity to listen to God's voice and step into a story that was a lot bigger than them. So, so what is it that God might be asking you to do? This is, this is the thing. Our, our prayers are bigger than us. Our, our prayers put us into a world that is bigger than us. So what is it God might be asking you to do? What totally illogical, foolish-looking, unpredictable thing might he be calling you to do that is much bigger than your ability to understand it? What, what might God be asking you to do? What friend is he asking you to make of an enemy? Or marriage is he asking you to repair? Or next step is he asking you to take to get your life back on track? What humility is he asking you to reach for? What job is he calling you to? What story is he asking you to tell? That puts you, much like our prayers in the middle of the service, outside ourselves, that puts you outside yourself and into a world that is bigger than yours. In what way is God calling you higher? Asking you to point back to him, to proclaim him by taking up a cross and carrying it. And what if that move, listen to this, and what if that move ends up, like it did Daniel, wrecking you for this world? (laughs) What if that ends up wrecking you for this world while it places you in the kingdom? Because prayer changes things, and prayer changes us. I just want to read you something from Wendy Witter. She wrote the Story of God commentary on Daniel. I just like the way she puts this. She says, Daniel prayed, and God moved. I mean, that's it. Daniel prayed, and God moved. Think about that. A desolate man on a riverbank spoke words into the air, and the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, came to his aid. The divine warrior left a fierce battle in the hands of one of his generals, and he hustled to the banks of the Tigris to help the lone Daniel understand something. Daniel was not in mortal peril as he was, say, in the lion's den. He was probably not in dire spiritual peril either. He was distraught and confused, but he doesn't appear to be in actual danger. Had I been at the heavenly switchboard that day, this is not how I would have triaged prayer requests. Answering Daniel's request could definitely have waited until the prince of Persia had been disarmed and defeated. But God, listen, God does not triage prayer requests. He is not shorthanded or unable to save whatever saving looks like in a particular situation. Daniel prayed and God moved. Daniel's prayer made a difference. It was not the specific difference for which he may have been praying, for instance, a a better restoration for his people, but his prayer moved things in heaven. Which is to say that prayer is a partnership. That, 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 that things outside my control aren't necessarily outside my influence. God wants to create a thin place between me and him. Between heaven and earth. And Daniel, I hear God coming to a man who has made himself spiritually pliable who has spent time shaking off his own agendas, making himself completely open to the great moves of God. And in response, 
God showed himself to be God above all gods. So Daniel found that thin place. I want to ask you to stand. Daniel found that thin place between heaven and earth. In fact, he went looking for it. (laughs) You can't really create a thin place. But you know it if you found it. And we can go looking, friends. And I'm going to say to you that where people gather for worship, that's a thin place. When you gather in here for worship, that's a thinner place. You know what I'm talking about when I talk about thin place, right? It's it's where the veil between heaven and earth gets very thin. This place in here where people gather for worship is a lot thinner place than you sitting at a red light in your car. So here in this place is a place where we can practice leaning in, looking for, going after the thin places. So I want to invite you to find a place. That you know, some of you should come. We should come and just kneel. You should just come and kneel here and say, Lord, I'm, I want to physically put myself in position, physically put myself in position where I can hear from you. And that's really what fasting is. It's just saying, I, w- I want to physically put myself where I can hear from you. I don't want to. I don't want to passively receive. I don't want to hope you're going to come find me in my chair. I, I'm. I am going to put myself where I can hear from you. Some of you need to just turn around, kneel where you are, make your chair into an altar. I, I realize that for a lot of you in this room, that, that those kind of physical moves are are not comfortable. But I just got to tell you, armchair quarterbacking it will not get you where you want to go spiritually. So how will you respond to the thought that we are now in a thin place? We don't know how God's cosmic story will roll out in your case, in my case, in the case of the world. We don't know, but we can come boldly before the throne of grace without fear or shame because the Lion of Judah has made a place for us there. We can pray. for for, for faithfulness. We can pray for presence. We can pray for God to to use our prayers to influence. We can pray for the things that we have burdens for and ask that God use those prayers to influence things around us. We can ask God to forgive us of our sins and to release us from all fear or shame and believe that God will fight our battles with us and so we're, we're right back where we started. How will you prepare for and respond? How will you prepare for and respond to God's invitation to get in the game? Lord Jesus, my prayer for us right now is that you would give a, just, just lay a grace over this house. That's what my prayer is, is just a grace over this house to receive, to see. I'll, I will be bold, Lord. I want someone in here to see the vision Daniel saw. Because I know you're the same God today that you were then. I want someone in this house to see what Daniel saw. I want someone in this house to be bold enough to ask for a sign and then to find sometime 
a testimony of when that sign was fulfilled. I want someone in this house to be bold enough to cry out. Someone in this house to be bold enough to get on their face. Someone in this house to lean in in a way they've not leaned in before. Because God, I am trusting and believing that you plan to use us the way you used Daniel. That you plan to show up the way you did when you were with Daniel. That you plan to uh, fight our battles the way you fought his. I guess what I'm asking God is for the Lion of Judah to come strolling in here right now. And to, to scare away the enemy. And to sit down next to us. Every person in this room. And guard us. That's what I'm asking for, Jesus. So come on in, Lion of Judah. Yes. Come on in. Come on into this room. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.